Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM, which I believe is eventually going to quite soon become also a dab station, which I'm looking forward to hugely because I believe my dulcet tones will be even smoother and more people will hear them, as with... Will they also hear the guests? And this show, we have three guests in the studio and one who is in Colchester. Would you believe the magic of technology brings us somebody from Colchester? And unusually in this show, that fourth person in the show, including me, that is, no, fifth person in the show, including me, is somebody who's curated a show or is an artist and his name is Mark Wilshire. But in the studio, we also have... Um, I'm sorry, Mark's on the phone, by the way, of course. Hello, Mark, can you hear me? Hi there, Matt. Hi Th- there. Thanks a lot. Sorry, I, 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 your absence from the room makes it rather odd, but you are there. OK, and then in the studio, we have Chris Fitwasilak, who's a writer and curator based in London. We have Matthew Bowman, who's a lecturer at Colchester School of Art and University Campus Suffolk. And we have Lob- Rob Lafrené, who is an independent curator. Rob, the music we were playing when we came in before yes. the show, tell them what it is and oh, why, well, why that, you wanted us to play it. That was uh, one of my favourite singers, Natasha Atlas, and uh, she's not actually Turkish, but I thought I'd ask request her music because I'm going to be talking about the Istanbul Biennale, and I can kind of associate her singing with the seedy Turkish nightclubs or crazy rooftop parties of Istanbul. And I also wanted to bring in a woman's voice, as I think we're going to make the Tumblr site. Um, <laughs> congrats, you have an all-male panel tonight. We certainly are. Even the absent one from the room is a man too. Shock horror. Anyway, we have a, a female engineer, by the way. <laughs> One of the best there is, actually. Um, okay, now um, we're discussing three texts from Art Monthly's issue 390, which is October 2015 issue. And one of those texts is a profile on an artist called Jonathan Hoskins. One of the texts is on the 14th Istanbul. Bull Biennale, Saltwater, A Theory of Thought Forms. And the other is a show called Everyone is an Curator. I'm not getting that grammatically incorrect. That is what it's called. The Minories, Colchester. That's the show that was at the Minories in Colchester. And by the way, that's run by a lovely man called Carvus Clayton. Hi, Carvus, if you're listening. And um, we, the person on the phone is Mark Wilshire. Now, it, it was his show at the Minories. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it said it in the title. We're going to begin by discussing that show, partly because Mark's on the phone and a whole hour on the phone doesn't always work, so technically that's a good idea. But also, I thought it was a good thing to start the show with anyway. And that piece of text in the magazine about that show is written by Matthew Bowman, as I said, introduced already. And so, Matthew, I'll begin talking to you, just asking you really to say fundamentally your impressions of what the show was what you saw when you went and what you know about it and then well, obviously mark will bring mark in in an un- we, we, this is unusual by the way for our monthly to actually i won't say the word allow but to have <laughs> the creative person in yeah. the room as it were and uh, to, to discuss back is, is pretty unheard of really but we thought we'd give it a go because mark writes for art monthly as well um i don't know mark just coming quickly are, are you an artist curator and lecturer or how would you describe yourself uh I'm more of those things, so I guess I, I think artist just covers it all, doesn't it, really? Yeah, which is fine with me. Okay, we're going to go back to Matthew now, and then when you can't hold off any longer, Mark, <laughs> do come in, and um, and if not, uh, you know, and ask questions. And also, the, the other guys in the room will ask questions too if things come up, because we think there's some crossovers between these texts, which are community, working in the community, curating. Obviously, they're the two fundamental ones, because um, Istanbul, Biennale, I can't say that word, it never could, um, is heavily curated by one person. Mark's show is sort of about people curating, but I don't want to take over from Matthew. And, and then the community aspect also comes in on Chris Fitwasilik's piece on the artist who works a lot in the community, Jonathan Hoskins. OK, Matthew, go. OK, it's a real pleasure to have Mark on the line because it's kind of unfair if I talk about it and, sort of, and he doesn't get a chance to kind of respond or talk back about his own exhibition. Um, but kind of one way to understand the exhibition is to kind of talk about it in two stages. So the first stage of the exhibition, Mark put out a, a call out to the people of Colchester saying, we're interested in your collections, in that kind of 
those kind of personal art or vernacular pieces, your kind of letter art, those kind of word things that you have on fridges, these kind of things. Um, and we would like to sort of come along and kind of photograph these collections in your home. So if this was in local newspaper, um, the Colchester Gazette. I'll just just come in there for a second. Yep. So just coming for a second. When you say collections, I mean most people wouldn't think of their work in their home as being their collection, especially if it's not actually something they bought. You know, like when we think of collectors, us toffee nose artist types, and we mm. think we think of it as being you know buying ready-made paintings that are one-offs or you know really well-known artists. So when you say collections, you, you mean just say a little bit more about what that actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, What's quite nice about exhibition, it, it, it treats collections in a very broad and, I'd say, vernacular sense. So we all have this kind of personal, kind of, kind of large groups of objects, whether they be kind of mass-produced paintings, uh, theatre posters, uh, toy car collections, Star Wars figures. Um, I have those somewhere hidden in my previous home somewhere. And... Um, so it was that kind of very everyday, kind of very domestic sense of collecting these things and kind of recognising the kind of value that these things have. So kind of going beyond the art world into the, not so much the public sphere, but into the domestic sphere. And um, so Mark asked volunteers um, linked with luminaries, linked with Culture School of Art, um, with Norwich School of Art as well, to go to people's homes and... Uh, to look at these collections, to kind of interview the people who lived there, uh, to photograph um, the things that they found and also to take notes and then to kind of bring all these kind of images and kind of records back so an exhibition could be made from it, kind of displaying people's collections. And he, he kind of met with a, a tremendous response. Um, I've forgotten what the exact figure is, but I think it's something like about 2,000 objects were photographed and catalogued as part of this and kind of sort of well over kind of 150 quite quite a few homes were visited um, by mark by his volunteers and that was very much stage one just tell me how when you went to the show how did you find out what you just said um it was partly there in the text as well but also partly through the publicity leading up to the show so it had quite a quite a large kind of local coverage um what in papers where they advertised to see who would allow them in as it were absolutely okay i got it and so when you came to the exhibition itself it, it turns out to be kind of more minimalist which is it has its kind of benefits it, it stops it from becoming a kind of a kind of garage sale or bazaar or something like that and the works mark had selected were in many cases, not all cases, kind of reproductions of artworks and sometimes things that were kind of mass-produced but kind of artworks in themselves. So to give uh, a couple of examples of this, on one wall there was um, a postcard of a Bridget Riley painting next to a kind of poster of the same Bridget Riley painting. So these are kind of clearly reproductions of artworks. And on a facing wall there were two prints from... Um, sort of Rachel Wright reads Freeze for Whitechapel Gallery and so though these kind of two prints are kind of not mass, mass produced but kind of limited edition Mark come in there for me these these reproductions were they found in different homes so that he describes there being Matthew describes there being two Bridget Riley's presumably they were hello in different homes yeah Yes, they were, yeah. Um, pretty much everything in the show, each piece was from a different home, yeah. And one of the things I was really hoping to find when we set out to do all this research was exactly that, to find some duplicate pieces or some similar pieces. Okay. In fact, there were three pairs of works in the show altogether. There's also a pair of uh, carved Indonesian faces uh, that are in a different room. Right. Matthew, come back to you again. Carry on. <laughs> so it's going to... Kind of, kind of wide-ranging collection of different objects. Some were, kind of, as I say, artworks. Some were reproductions of artworks. Some were, as supposed to be impolite to the people involved, were kitsch. Um, I feel very impolite now. <laughs> <laughs> but this is kind of the risk of this kind of discussion. And um, you had kind of, kind of mass-produced kind of Van Gogh paintings, things that were kind of bought online. And, it, and so the exhibition text... It's quite playful and I quite like exhibition text in this regard. So you have, for example, um, 
kind of a one of the kind of objects um, numbered JMW Turner, then the name of the painting and where it was bought, National Gallery, London. And so it, so it kind of plays that kind of sort of doubleness of reproduction. And um, but so, so there wasn't anything in the show that wasn't of art or what is known as famous art. So everything in it was art in some way by Link. Is that right, Mark? I think that's right. I think all, almost all of it was reproduction, apart from there was one original painting in the show, which but, but, was a painting by a baby, and it's called Jonathan's First Painting. And we found a, a kind of a framed uh, baby painting up on the wall. But, but you definitely weren't putting up things like, you know, Marilyn Monroe photographs, or, or it was only things that, that were art that oh, you chose. Two, Is that right? There were two bits of, let me think, there were two bits of real pop culture. There was a Minecraft poster... And there's also a large poster of Elsa from Frozen up there. Right. I was only, I'm asking that only because it, it, if I wasn't quite clear, I think, from reading the press release, that, that was, the premise was that it was people's art collections. It, yeah. Well, do, you, do, you know, do you know what I mean, mean? I was very much led by what we found. So uh, what, what I intended to do was just go in and see really what people had on their walls. That was the thing. And right, which, which really could have been wider than just art. It could be anything, and to be honest... I, I mean, family was, photos, whatever. Yeah, I don't know if it was just the particular people we found, because we, we were limited to people within a couple of miles of the gallery in Colchester. Uh, and, but actually, we found quite a lot of art on people's walls, and much more than I expected. I expected to find quite a lot of kits and quite a lot of uh, cheesy photos and that kind of thing. Um, but there was a lot. I was really surprised by how many reproductions there were, and actually how many really good quality reproductions there were. Let, let Chris Wis- Chris yeah, F- Wasilek ask you a question. I was just going to jump in there and ask um, whether it was kind of what people were deliberately displaying in their homes, or, or you know, when you asked for collections, was it people bringing out boxes from basements and <laughs> that sort of thing? Or? Well, we did have a bit of that. I mean, when you, there, there was, I think there was already there were always some sort of preconceived ideas about um, about art that involves people and communities. And when people hear this kind of appeal, they come to you with. First of all, we got a lot of people who were like real amateur artists, Sunday painters, and they wanted to show me all their their fantastic paintings, which I wasn't that interested in, really. Because the the press release actually says the exhibition is an anthropological investigation of the aesthetics of a locality. Yeah. And what interested me about that was the word locality. Yeah. Because did you find that you thought that there was some link between what these people had on their walls... And where they lived. Well, you know, I think there was. There was. I was. I was quite disappointed because I. I found a whole in several different houses. I found some really nice um, old engravings of some local buildings of like Colchester Castle and of the Priory Walls. Uh, and I was thinking of including those at one point, but they just got bumped out of the show in the end. Um, but the uh, Rachel Whiteread prints, which we mentioned earlier on from the they were from the reopening of the Whitechapel Gallery, I think they were there because it's so easy to get from Colchester to. Liverpool Street, and that's kind of there's going to be a lot of. Um, so there, there is a geographical. There is, link. yeah. When you when you get off the train from Colchester, you end up at Liverpool Street, and you're right there by the Whitechapel. So I think you might be able to read some kind of connection in there. Rob wants to ask you a question. Rob Lafrenny. I, I have a question for both the writer and the artist about the title. Everyone is and curator. Yeah, we haven't brought up Boyce yet. Um, have we? Yeah, well, I was going to bring up Boyce. Uh, <laughs> please do, please do. Um, this um, famously de- famous declaration: "Every human being is an artist." Yeah. Is actually semantic. It's a piece of semantics that's actually been questioned quite a lot. And I understand the translation from the German may have been something more like ev- "Everyone is art," or uh, that is, every human act. Activity is art, which is slightly different to everyone is an artist, which mm. I think is a kind of also famously been misinterpreted. Um, J- just to clarify, you, the title of your show is "Everyone is an Curator," and your "an" is there to refer to this Boyce phrase right, as yeah. we translate it here. But as Rob says, it's probably I'm, not as simple as that either. But were you? Th- what's interesting about Matthew's text, as far as I understood it, was that there was a point where you kind of Matthew was going, "Well, this this." Um, curated show or this show of yours as an artist doesn't do what that implies i.e that these people you've got the work from are our all artists by the, by their curating and 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 then you kind of quit don't you Matthew? you kind of question the title because mm. you're saying well actually but then you think well is it is it was mark using it in the true sense as boyce might have meant it however we interpret it rob i mean or was it actually were you being ironic question to mark well i think i think i was i was i mean i was uh, um i was using it in the refer to voice and the idea that that this kind of common um perception of what that phrase stands for which is this kind of 
the idea of every in, uh, individual being an important kind of creative person about bringing uh, creative into life and life into politics and so on. So it was a, it was a kind of a, uh, a take on it in that sense. But it's also a bit of a joke. It's a bit of a humorous take on it. You know, and I think that's referred to actually somewhere else in the magazine, the sense that uh, everything is curated these days. You know, yeah, you know, my, mm. the, the menu at the local cafe said, is curated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rob, yeah. Rob says that in his piece on the, in yeah. Istanbul yeah. Biennale. It kind of yeah. comes out of nowhere in his piece in a way, but it probably doesn't really, but it, it, it's like a <laughs> lovely little phrase. But then but curating, as you say, people curate in their homes now. That's what that's it's right. called now. It's I mean, just this word they've always done is, the same thing, actually. They just wasn't called that. Yeah, maybe. it's this word which is just incredibly overused nowadays. Mm. But uh, for me, I mean, for me, it was very much, to take, to take out that point, it was very much um, uh, my curation, uh, and it was very much about making a sort of a coherent exhibition about from all this stuff that we found that was really focused about, uh, focused on the way that art in particular, the way that art, contemporary art, filters through to everyday visual culture. Because out of these works, we had this massive collection of, of images, 2,000 or so images, and I knew that, that we were never going to fit a massive amount of it into the gallery. So I had to be very, very tightly focused when I thought about what sort of juxtapositions we put together. Um, so, yeah, my curation came to the fore, and it was very much um, about that at the end of the day. And so I think that people's um, tastes and people's, people's own individual curations are reflected kind of tangentially in that all the work does belong to an individual person. And that's why it was so important in the leaflet to name the, the lender of every single piece uh, and where it was bought from and so on. Okay, I'm going to give Matthew mm. pro probably the last word on this one because we've got two other texts to cover in the show. Mm. Over to Matthew, but thanks Mark. If I, I haven't said goodbye yet though, don't go away. <laughs> mm. I, I think what Mark says kind of sort of leads to kind of the very interesting and very sort of tricky part of the exhibition, which is why there's kind of quite a bit of back and forth in my view of the exhibition. So the title kind of posits that everyone, that everybody, and, and sort of know this kind of mass call out for kind of, in a sense, kind of the, the, the vernacular everyday curator in a domestic sphere. But of course, when we come to the exhibition, kind of people's curating is kind of sublated into kind of Mark's um, curation. And so, in that sort of sense, that everyone kind of gets submerged underneath Mark's curation. And that's where I tend to worry somewhat about this kind of Boisean motto. Do you want to say anything back about that, Mark? <laughs> only in, only in, uh, in that that's fine by me. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, at the end of the day, when, you, when, you, when you're putting together a show, when you're um, uh, trying to think of some kind of uh, artistic project, it's, it's always about imposing yourself on the world, you know, and suggesting yeah. a different model of the world and how it could be. Yeah. Uh, and I've always been a bit sceptical, as I think Matthew noted, about the sort of this so-called social turn in, in contemporary art and... I think it's interesting, but it's not the be-all and end-all of uh, the way things should be. So good, good politics doesn't always equal good art. Thank you very much for that. Well done, guys. <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, I think we will say goodbye to you, Mark, now, because um, phone call, whole hour, not a good idea. But thank you so much for coming on. Um, very game of you. Okay, thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, now, so let's move over to the Istanbul Biennale, I think. Mm. Um, f um, Rob, you obviously went there and saw it, which was a, a, a tremendous thing to do. W one thing in my head, which has been ringing ever since I saw even the title of the review, was so much is going on in that region, uh, as you know, far more about than me, probably, and especially having been there. No, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to talk all about the politics mm. of it, but it, uh, it is interesting that there is something like that, a, a big Biennale going on in Istanbul, and then they're so close, there's this massive war going on, mm. and well, thousands of refugees mm. coming over. I mean, did you, did you see lots of refugees in, in Istanbul? No, because they probably didn't pass through the areas where the Biennale was. I mean, we've had this shocking news from Ankara, for example, which kind of shows how conflicted the place was. I think we were very lucky um, in this time round because I think you remember that the last Biennale was considerably disrupted by the government um, the, the, by, by the government um, um, actions against the um, protesters in Taksim Square, and I think that limited a lot the Biennale. Um, this particular one obviously had a lot of political references in it and I particularly liked um, 
Carolyn Christoph Bogarkiev's um, use of the or, or Christoph Bogarkiev's sort of use of this idea of oases in the middle of conflict and she uses this um, text by Vetus Sackville West um, small pleasures must connect great tragedies therefore of gardens in the midst of war I boldly tell well, the, and you think the whole Biennale was possibly that um, an oasis. You could see it as an oasis. Of course, it could be also seen as a very privileged oasis with, um, you know, the usual international crowd landing in the Biennale and being, you know, the international art crowd as we know and love them. Um, but yes, it's, um, I, th- I think um, Carolyn Christoph Bogarkiev did manage to pull off a very good the, balance. The of, she, she, she said she, this is the cura- curator mm. of... Biennale. By the way, she, she, she is someone who's done uh, documentary number mm. 13, which mm. I was lucky enough to go to myself. And I mean, which was, a, I thought, a really good one. It was the only one I've ever been to, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and she called it, dra- she said she drafted. Mm. Now, I know you actually questioned that, but why do you think she said that? Well, she firstly, didn't call it curated, she called it drafted. Yeah, Sorry, firstly, um, I, I, I'd like to use this programme to stand up for the... <laughs> for the profession of curating um, it gets attacked a lot I am a curator and I see it as a reasonable job to, to, to go about my business as doing um, you know I think curating is getting your hands dirty and getting in there with the art and working at it and I think Carolyn has been very good she got all the artists in right in, in advance months, sometimes months in advance travelling to the east of Turkey I think I, I particularly Things such as the Francis Elise um, project in the ancient city of Annie, where he basically worked with children's games. He's been doing these long, um, this long series of works across, around the world in conflict zones with how children's games are developed in conflict zones. And he did, he, he got them to imitate birds among the ruins of this um, what was once one of the most um, important cities, you know, in the world, which is now in ruins. So I think that. Um, I suppose at the start of my article, I do question this slightly um, over-modest notion that she drafted it. I think which, Im- which implies mm. it, it wasn't fully fully worked out. Or is it just mm. the desire? This is Chris. Just mm. the desire to get away from that overuse of the word curation, mm, possibly. Yeah. But, but it also does imply, though, that and you said that mm. the artist came in very early. It implies to me some idea that perhaps she had constructed within mm. her curating, which which I call curating still, by mm. the way. She, she built in a notion that you actually might work with the artists to the extent where you mm-hmm. don't... OK, you've chosen who they are, which I know that's a big part of it, but you don't really know what they're going to do and they don't know mm. and they come. It, and then it's you, a process, yeah. And the process develops, which yeah. starts from a draft, which is their mm-hmm. names, and then some places, and then yeah. what happens is not known. Or, or yeah. where some creators are far mm-hmm. tighter yeah. and, and controlling. Well, that, you know, they? you're under a lot of pressure to make these grand statements if you get selected to do these biennialists, don't you? Um, <laughs> I, um, well, I, I wouldn't know. I, don't, I, 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 well, I haven't either, but um, I, I get the feeling that, that you know that that, that 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 was one of them. I think that, as I've said here, that she curated the hell out of it um, and um, curated it rather well, I thought. But um, what I've commented here also is that she's bitten back uh, the trend of saying that everything is curated in a kind of airline magazine sort of fashion that you can curate a you know a, a cocktail bar or. A, nightclub or whatever and that's fine i mean you know i don't mind the i don't mind expanding the the word of the use of the word curator it's just as a curator i do think it's a job and it can be quite a hard job sometimes you know even though it seems that one might be privileged to work with like a hanky (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's a tough job that someone's got to do it (laughs) no it is a tough i know it's a tough job because you don't get work all the time look most curators are freelance and they they don't know when the next one is going to come i mean it's the same as being an artist frankly it really Um, i also think it's important this connection symbiotic connection with the artists themselves um i I spend a lot of time talking to artists about what they do and going to their studios and i think that's an intrinsic part of what a curator has to do and also trying to realize what are often quite you know problematic ideas um i do think that's part of the job it's not about shopping shopping for art and throwing it up on a wall it's about getting really down down and dirty with the process getting under the hood of what the artist thoughts thoughts are and, and getting involved in very yeah. involved in it it, it seems worth, it, it seems worth saying fair or kind of linking back to say documenta in the early 70s and kind of daniel Byrne's famous attack on that kind of 
that the way the, the creator of documentary becomes the artist and kind of use artists as his mm. kind of paintbrush or his kind of medium. And so that kind of sort of nice sense of perhaps kind of the, the simple way Biennale being drafted it's very much about creating frameworks for the artist to act within rather than determining yeah. their actions. I mean, I would not go so far as to argue that the act of curating is art, you see. That's the thing I draw the line there. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like this whole question of art and science. You know, people are going and saying, I used to work very much with, with a company called The Arts Catalyst and we, we did a lot of art and science projects. And one of the problems we were always up against is people were trying to say they were the same thing they're not they're totally different one is data driven and the other one is driven by dreams and poetry and and i also think that uh, the, the while the curator collaborates with the artist it's not the same mm. thing but but it's kind of interesting question there in relation to mark's exhibition where the curating is the art in some sense yeah i was quite interested by mm. his sort of like well he definitely said i'm an artist but then it, it, it was a curated project I, I felt. I mean, he, he, mm. because he didn't make. Yeah, so I therefore, the in that formal, sense, the curating yeah, was like. Oh, I mean, yeah. but I think the formal thing. I mean, I suppose the work of Cesare Pietroisti comes into 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 my mind, where he's sort of uh, advertised and collects items of clothing for members of the public and puts those together. I think there are elements of of curating that can be appropriated and apportioned as art that's for, that, 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 that's for sure um, and yeah I, 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 I'm not trying to draw the line I'm just saying it's not actually the same thing yeah no, mm-hmm. no, no the Biennale was a site specific Biennale mm. did you sorry Chris did you want to make a point about that curatorial Wouldn't, discussion I, sorry I think it just strikes me more that um, just through this kind of avoiding of the word we're just returning to a sense of curating a, in itself of just you know a well curated biennial that people seem to enjoy but at the same time i guess the criticisms i have heard of it um seem to be criticisms that could be directed at any biennial i suppose mm. i mean there you was mean the biennial format yeah as a, a thing I mean, we well, get our share. i mean we're, we're about to go into freeze week so london's going to be invaded by ridiculous shoes and fashions and <laughs> you may think you're going to a crummy opening and somewhere in the edge of dagnum or something and it's going to be invaded by all these Type, types who fly in for freeze. I mean, don't don't you f- find that when freeze comes to town? Well, yeah, but it's not a Biennale, so <laughs> well, yeah, but you get some of those people at Biennale. Chris, did you want to? Well, no, I guess just the, the notes that I had. You know, things were saying it was kind of maybe a continuation or a footnote of Documenta. I suppose where it was a lot of the same artists mm. that she'd kind of yeah. kept working with. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Um, but then even like say the the Simon Shake quote that you had mm. uh, with this idea that it was more for an international mm. audience than the local that's, audience. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there is this element, of course, of the jet set, and this is the problem I I talk about. Do you go to the opening or do you go later to appreciate the art properly? And the, the problem is when. You know, you might be weighing that up in your mind as a professional, and of course, there's all this stuff like talks and performances and stuff that's that around the opening, the opening, geared yeah. for the opening. And and in fact, when certainly when you go to Venice, it's much more pleasant to uh, to experience it after the the, the art crowd have moved on. Um, but 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 in in fact, you know, you have to to some extent make that balance between the the, the, the two styles of, of, of looking at something I suppose and yeah it can be exciting to be there with all of the artists are there and everything's happening and yeah but at the same time it it is for people and you know it, hopefully people in Istanbul are enjoying it in, 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 in you know I'm hoping they they certainly lots of locals out looking at it because you I said it, you say I, I bring back the site specific thing only because i think you you mm. say it's a site specific mm. biennale yep. which which they're not all are they i mean they're, they're not and uh, istanbul i have been to istanbul biennales where the whole site specific thing is totally closed down and everything is in the exhibition hall i think that was two two ones ago and uh, there was a, there was a bit ago. of that in this wasn't, yeah. there, wasn't there a space which was a kind well, of curated there was a show museum which was a curated show which i criticized in my article saying that actually it Got this, I got the sense that this was somehow artificially imposed on the situation, and actually the real action was out there in the hills and on the islands. And yeah, you said Princess Islands, didn't Princess you? Island, yeah, which was the new site. And there's a whole mini, well, not mini, quite a large exhibition that you had to um, take a ferry for one hour to get to. And there's a place that um, really, an um, extraordinary place, really, where there were no motor cars and everyone's going around on horses, and some really strong work there as well. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, to me, that sounds like 
you know worth going to istanbul mm. because you're going to get an experience mm. which you can't get anywhere else yeah well that's the point about why are we having all these things over the world if actually mm. they all start mm. looking the same yeah. yeah i mean i asked simon sheikh for a quote because i met him at the opening and he said oh i don't like I don't this is like someone this. who works at goldsmiths yes, yes. yes. indeed come on <laughs> and works at goldsmiths and he he sort of was making some comments about the the, the curation i said well let's have you know let's, uh, let's yeah, have a, a quote you a good journalist a quote, rob yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah anyway so that yeah um just to say the, the the whole thing about the way she curated it one of the things she did was curate a lot of things that weren't just artists so she again turned the tables um she she um basically had sort of norwegian scientists who had been the first to photograph the northern lights um she brought in a very interesting uh, neuroscientist called vs ramchandran who done the pioneering work on the phantom limb so and did they show photographs of those northern lights pictures is well, that what they, basically what was he was a he, he was a scientist who worked in the 20s and she, she no, no, okay. yeah, basically put a lot of the, the drawings and diagrams from him and she also curated trotsky I mean, yeah, how I do you wonder curate what, I wonder what that was about. <laughs> well, you know, it, part of the the thing about Princess Island was um, that's where Trotsky was exiled. And one of the very interesting um, pieces was actually in the ruins of the house in which he was exiled. And also William Kentridge did a very evocative piece in the hotel about Trotsky's secretary. And it was just uh, Trotsky was very much in it. So, yeah, she curated dead people as well. <laughs> <laughs> Whether they liked it or not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the phantom uh, artist. <laughs> I mean, it, it, is there a law that says that Istanbul, uh, sorry, that Biennales have to be only contemporary art? I mean, in a way, there's not, is there? But people tend to do it mm. that way. But they, you, you can easily. Yeah. Well, I, 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 as I, as I said, um, she also brought in an extraordinary thing, which I really enjoyed hearing. And again, you don't have to be at the opening for us. There's an Armenian choir, an entire Armenian choir, about like 16 people singing and it was very evocative and again knowing the politics and history of turkey and how the, the armenian massacres are kept under so many wraps and even at one point any reference to the armenian massacres on uh, any web presence was was censored and and cut down and and so it was quite there was a lot about issues that basically would you'd have to have quite a lot of strength of character to get that in there and i would have liked to have been a fly on the wall during some of the uh, discussions that went on between the without um, it, it wasn't a direct um, foundation and the sponsors and all those people yeah, who were yeah. around yeah they were not direct comments but they certainly lots yeah. of references yeah she's probably quite a good democrat <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay well listen let's try moving over but without stopping and keeping the link keep the keep the links going to talk with chris about um his profile and i've actually never just discussed um a profile on the program before yeah, it's almost like the it, artist should be here instead well of me, yeah, yeah but i think it's quite interesting <laughs> i know we've had one on i think we've been <laughs> that's enough that's <laughs> just the once no i wasn't thinking that for a second it just occurred to me oh, actually. Sorry, yeah. no 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 anyway, I'm anyway. but um <laughs> You did a profile of Jonathan Hoskins, um, and, I mean, the, the, the link that I make, uh, cr crudely as ever, um, is that he, Jonathan, you, well, you, you, you do the subtleties, but it, the word community comes up when you think about his work, and, and it did come up with Mark's show. Um, I mean, I think it does connect also with the Istanbul Biennale, because, I mean, it is, as you said, site-specific, Rob, and, it, and therefore, you know, again, you are... It's about place. I mean, place is, in Colchester, place for Jonathan Hoskins, he has a specific place he returns to quite a lot, doesn't he? Um, well, it's, I mean, in this case, a lot of his most recent work has been based around the fact that he lives in an area, he's engaged with the area, he engaged with the problems of the area. Um, he was an associate at Open School East, which is in the area as well. So this is um, the Beauvoir town, sort of, you know, central north London. And so, um, yeah, his sense of engagement was that. But it, I guess... It was in part, I mean, what's interesting is that you do get a sense of uh, maybe a fetishism of community, I suppose, in a lot of art projects. And there's this sense of abstracting of, uh, of what a community is or people sailing into communities and that sort of stuff. And so I guess I was drawn Yeah, I think sailing in is, is uh, you know, 
plop I come from Glasgow I'm doing a show I'm, I'm doing a community project and then I'm gone again parachuting I believe parachuting oh, yeah, yeah sorry that's the word yeah. plop plop's not as good as parachuting is it thanks Rob um, thanks for the better adjective but but but, but that, that is a real issue I think I mean I, would, I wouldn't turn away from that too quickly I think that no, is a, I think, a I mean, real that, problem that was kind of trying to to yeah gaze at that issue a bit more um, and just think about uh, yeah how people deal with issues around themselves proper I mean I think uh, you know I've banned myself from using the word every day but it you know we have these sense of mundane are we thinking about community but even then it was interesting to chat with Hoskins partially because his own attitude towards uh, community is quite ambivalent in the sense that he's aware of this sense that it's it's a a careful sort of double act of self-identification and containment I said I suppose that someone else would wish to identify somebody in that way as well so that what makes them appear as a homogenous group when actually there's always these disparities between individuals or people perceiving themselves in one group or another and so um, in that sense it just becomes uh, I suppose just problematizing if we want to use that problematic verb um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, what you mean the artist is interested in the problems of the use of the word community or what a community because obviously community is all everyone kind of knows that community blurs its edges of, uh, and it fluxes and, and and as you just said really um well yeah um, so i guess it was is looking at this in the sense of um also the problem of and you know defining what an artist is i suppose or what you know what they produce in this sense where hoskins is is working with people towards uh, talks uh, performances um, when a lot of the work is also just meeting up with people and having a chat or going to these activist groups or housing association groups and because I'm really interested in, in uh, this is a personal fetish probably but is what, what no it's art okay <laughs> we're saying this is art Put but, it but, there, but, yeah. but like the guy the guy goes to, to, to I mean I, I have to say I, I used to be uh, living in Leytonstone and there was something a uh, protest against the motorway being built on the A12 so uh, much of the art community there also pa parallel to their painting or whatever they were doing which certainly wasn't in their art very rarely did it appear in their art were, were, were involved in protesting against this road being built and i include myself in that i did nothing about it in my art whatsoever and 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 but it was a major part of, of a way of living in a way to be involved in in protesting against it and we wrote a book about and a chapter in the book we, 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 i did was called e11 m11 and it was all about how that kind of activity fed into, helped, fed into the way we ran a gallery okay well, and, I think, and, and and i think that's that that is very interesting but how is this guy's art work <laughs> more and how does he make it art that's what i'm asking but really. i think there's in yeah there's this interesting thread i suppose especially recently with a, a resurgence in recent years of political activity and activism and uh, it okay to be earnest again about these things that um i suppose this sense of how do you make a difference let's say in your locality rather than making explicitly political art maybe just getting on with the activity of a sort of local politics let's say and just thinking about those social relationships as a version of artwork but then also i mean that's why what, what i wanted to sort of weave through the profile as well was that sense of uh, using a, a slight fiction based on this reality to try and alter those situations so if we talk i mean even earlier uh um we were talking about the curated show when he's mm -hmm. talking about imposing a model of the world of how it could be better curating is that but this is a kind of a sense of an artistic strategical fiction inserted in that same way um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was interesting partially just because, say, like the Istanbul Biennial had uh, artists like, say, Fernando Garcia Dori, who works across a lot of ranges. I mean, he works with cheesemakers in northern Spain. He works uh, with, you know, he, he's created this sort of global nomad association. And, and the one thing that defines his work is sort of almost creating these bureaucracies that are functional fictions that bring people together. And so I, I see Hoskins' work in a similar way, I suppose, in that he was kind of creating fictions that can be action points let's say so i mean one piece particularly where he would he'd uh, made a, a kind of fictional version of what a renovated uh rose Lippmann building could look like and then that was put into the local newspaper and what was interesting about that is that it that was the point at which he lost control but that's also the point at which it becomes for him 
interesting as well in that in that it becomes activated. I wanted to ask you about the backstory. I wanted to ask you about the backstory for that because I used to live around there and I remember the the Hackney Gazette always being a kind of an interesting presence. What is the backstory? How did he get that fake article into well, the Hackney Gazette? I, well, that's the thing. I mean, that's precisely why it's interesting because it's not a fake article, but it just had unintended consequences mm-hmm. about people reading it. I suppose he was, in his part of, uh, as an associate at Open School East, he was trying to instigate discussions about the future of the neighbourhood. And uh, at that point, Hackney Council apparently had not discounted the fact that the Rose Lippman building is one of these sites that could be potentially developed apparently um, and so he was organizing a community meeting to discuss this issue but as a kind of let's say gathering point towards that he would commissioned an architect to then create this fictional building as one potential outcome mm. um, and then apparently he rang up the paper to just let them know about this event as a way of getting it out there and then uh, a week later unbeknownst to him uh, he was told that this article was out there, and the way mm. the article had produced it rhetorically was quite different. Mm. You know, it wasn't say here's an event to talk about it. It was the question of the article, I believe, was is this the fate of the Rose Lippman building? So almost presenting mm. it as if it was the plan. <laughs> so was the lie life took over art. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, that was a, quite mm. an interesting sort of crossover. Um, I, I wanted to refer back to Fernando's work actually, because one of the things Fernando is quite famous for is something that almost seems totally absurd, but is actually very real which was that he created a um, union worldwide, well, European and now worldwide union of shepherds. And he literally brought shepherds from all over the place. I actually attended one of these and met the shepherds. And um, it's now become an actual union. So he created it as an artwork. He invited the shepherds. They all met. They brought in, they had Skype meetings. And now they, the whole thing has taken off and they are a union of shepherds. So well, this is it. I mean, I think in some cases using the guise of art as a sort of amorphous uh, cloak in which to enable activities that might not otherwise happen. I mean, mm. I remember an event of Fernando Garcia Dori's that I saw in Madrid where this was an area where they've only ever historically permitted book sales on a Sunday, but then through this kind of art realm, they allowed him to invite a bunch of shepherds to come and sell their cheeses for a day. And so, you know, it's not the thing that you would easily say this is art, but it's somehow art as a facilitator towards discussions that wouldn't mm. otherwise happen. So it's actually the, the approach yes. of, by, of the artist towards whatever they apply, which, which may be called... This. I, I'm not pro- for me. It's not a problem. Actually, naming everything all the time is a bit of a pain, really, isn't it? Well, I mean, this I, is art. I, this is curating. I this think is, you know. it, it's funny to think about whether it's continually a problem. You know, if it's been over half a century that we've thought about conceptual art or the fact that discussion can be art or that you know instructions towards choreography can be art. I, and so now, you know, if something's more overtly. I don't know, political or at least something that we might be doing otherwise, mm. is it a problem to call it art as well? I don't know. It's, um, mm. But I enjoy the problem, I suppose. Yeah. I'm just referring back, actually, because I wanted to say about um, the curating in, um, in um, this Art Monthly article that I wrote, which was cut, or I had to cut, because you made me, the Art Monthly made me reduce the size of the article. But I wanted to refer to Carolyn Christoph Bogarkiev's work um, in Documenta with um, um, the Critical Art Ensemble. Um, who did a very interesting two-pronged work where firstly they had for the entire documenta they set up a karaoke session where people could come and play cheesy music right the way through but for the opening they commented and this would be an interesting one for Simon's point of view they actually um, had a lottery where you could fly up in a helicopter above the whole documenta and see the world of the documenta from the point of view of the multimillionaire who would be flying in in the helicopter and the whole uh, she basically allowed him to more or less disrupt the entire opening by having this incredibly noisy helicopter flying over the uh, the, the, the art crowd so I just um, I, I wanted to just mention that and in do you think I mean I guess what's interesting saying just in the contrast of that is that the desire or almost the kind of the wish fulfillment of it you know it's like letting someone have that experience yeah um, where it's fun like say with Jonathan Hoskins work it's almost kind of bringing people into the sort of things that we try to escape from maybe more <laughs> regularly like well, but also but it's also yeah. getting people to perhaps realize that they I mean he was he seems to be wanting to encourage people to take control of their lives and of their of their environment well, more 
which is similar yeah, to, 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 to being able to see down from a helicopter, if you know what I mean, the kind of overview you get, and, and wanting to actually get... He says at the end of that, of that um, article in the Hackney Citizen, which is an online thing, these plans are intended as a starting point for discussion. He would just want to get people to talk about yeah. what that building could be before... He says scenarios that are common occur, i.e. the developers take it over before, and it's too late. Yeah, and I think the, or, be- the benefit, the perspective that his work brought, I felt, or sort of promoted, was this idea that any city plan or any of these things are just fictions. And we have to... All rec- plans are fictions. Yeah, we have to yeah. recognise yeah. them as such so we can manipulate them as such as well. Yeah, and, a lot, and I think, understandably, a lot of people don't specialise in that concept or that field do they and then sometimes the artists may, may be more aware of those things than, than other people or they may specialize themselves in that but yeah so i guess i mean i don't know if i've really explained his practice as such in detail no no but we'll do but this <laughs> another, uh, we've, we're, we've really only talked about one uh, we've really only talked about one project that he this particular building one have we what, well, do, can you give us another example but, but this one i mean that that is interesting partially because it 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 kind of spreads out to a lot of what his work has been, and, and it has been working in this area of de Beauvoir and researching the history of it as a kind of planned community, but as a failed planned community. And he's been interviewing his neighbours and people who go to these community housing association meetings as well. And um, as you know, he, he found that this past fiction was constantly referred to as well as this kind of nice gridded uh, square that could you know connect everyone easily, and it never happened. And then there's also um, a moment in the 70s where uh, some of the houses were going to get knocked down and people in the area had formed their own housing co-op and so they were able to afford to live there. But then when, and again, it's this sort of, again, this idealization of community action maybe that you find in, in, it's quite alluring. But then the more he looks into it, the more it sounds like, you know, the people who said they were there weren't actually there and the people mm-hmm. who were in the photos didn't do anything. Or, you know, it just sounds like it kind of falls apart when you actually try to located and that sort of thing and so there's this nice realization of what archival history can be but also then what it takes for us to maybe do these things in the present isn't isn't to idealize these things in the past it's just to kind of continue with this process of questioning and and discussing but he's obviously not a romantic is he which is he's, he's not romanticizing no, no. any of any of this Thankfully. which is which is quite a common fallback and nostalgia you know he's not well, doing this is, that. I mean, but I mean, I'm I'm quite interested to see what he'll do next because partially I think the sense of fiction um, is quite important, but also the sense that he has been working very much in his own area. So if there's, I think that's partially what contains the idealism that it is kind of it's it's directly relevant to him, um, and it'll be interesting to see if that's portable in that. Yeah, no, I think I think how he develops his ranging because I'm quite interested in, in in what his audience is or what he thinks. Does he even think about my audience? Is, is his audience these people that he's approaching in various ways in his work? Or is his audience also me and you and people who don't live in that community? I mean, well, how, how did you find these, out about well, him? The, a lot of these projects have come out as, say, performances or books or just well, Which are not well. done in that area. Or where, I mean, just, this, I mean, does he perform in a, in a commercial gallery in, in the West End? Well, no, that's why I found interesting. I mean, that's what, I mean, especially... I, I see as a, a kind of reason to write these profiles is that it gives a presence to artists who aren't working in any sort of commercial sphere or any of that sort of thing. It's it's and it's also he's he's working in an amorphous way. You want to give it a yeah a gathering point, let's say. And so I mean I um, encountered him at an event at Pier at the show they had where it was um, you know with this kind of community uh, housing problem. Unfortunately, I can't remember. It's a gallery, actually, with, with, again, in a way, which has got its own local. It's very much where it is. Yeah, but it's then, in its locality. It has its own community. That was and an amazing I can see a lot well, of sense yeah. in him going there. It was events, discussions, it, you know, and it was hosting these these very kind of raw political discussions of, you know, how do we deal with housing? Yeah, I like the way you, um, you quote Robert McEwen, um, this form of hopeful exorcism. I think um, the artist Marcus Coates has done work like that a bit as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah mm. and, and, and I, I guess Coates has that more sort of playful mm. translation where I think, um, yeah, Hoskins is still kind of working through mm. almost sometimes kind of mocking these meetings 
in some sense, but also taking it to heart, I think, as well. So I, mean, I have to say, yeah. those meetings need mocking, because if you've ever, you've ever been, you've ever been, I mean, I, I used to go and sit on the blinking inquiry for the M11 A12 link mm. for, for you know, a number of years, and you wouldn't mock them. Yeah. <laughs> you had to. But then, in, and I think it's, I think recognizing this fact that it's kind of like this is where things are supposed to happen, but it's also the most boring thing imaginable. Yeah, so, yeah. Dr- people are driven away by boredom, <laughs> yeah. honestly, and they're, they're, they're always designed to be like that. So, I, in some senses, maybe providing a kind of template of you know how do you deal with these things is to kind of try and fictionalize them and trying to work through them with these maybe these sorts of tactics. Yeah. I should actually make yeah. one. Sorry, Matthew, did you want to say something? Sorry. Yeah, there are some kind of interesting things in the article on Jonathan Hoskins I found really quite striking. But coming to kind of this idea of community and kind of public and audience and who is the community and who is the audience and who the community may be if one artwork may be different from who the audience might be in some sense. And um, what I quite like about Jonathan Hoskins' project and sort of kind of what kind of worried me about kind of Mark's project, and in some sense it'd be lovely to have Mark and Jonathan in conversation uh, about kind of social engagement or its kind of pros and cons. Um, but what I kind of like about Jonathan Hoskins' project is his kind of willingness to have some kind of responsibility towards the community, towards that kind of locality. And for, I agree with, say, Mark's point earlier that kind of good politics doesn't necessarily equal good yeah, art. I, was gonna mention that, I, yeah. I, I still have that nagging feeling about some sort of ethical responsibility that we can't, can't that easily sideline it. And for my, my example would be kind of culture, so where things in the cultural field are a bit delicate at the moment and kind of sort of first sight are. You mentioned first sight, yeah, which isn't even, which not even the gallery that the show was at. No. <laughs> I did wonder why you did it, really. But yeah. Well, it's, it's covering <laughs> just in the horizon. Yeah. 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 You've also talked a little bit about the, the blue chip gallery funding of some well, social... That, I think that, uh, so yeah, that was why I asked about audience, actually. was really thinking the stuff, same. And I think this was one of the kind of, you know, the co- comments about the Venice Biennale this year was that you had this paradox of the blue chip funding and and of course, Okri and Reza's uh, social engaged work, and somehow this being rather an uncomfortable fit. Well, then, I, I mean, I don't doubt like someone like the Astor Gates, you know, the, the rationale of what he's doing and funding these projects. But at the same time, I'm really interested to think of how can we find artists who are working in this way who don't rely on that sensibility. So, in that say, Hoskins isn't making. Mm exhibitions in a straightforward way mm. and I think it's a, a yeah, problem yeah. we need to promote <laughs> we've got one minute to go but just Theaster Gates is in the Istanbul he was, yeah, he was making pots just right there in, <laughs> and, and, I, and I did find out today that actually that, that, that his, he's got, I mean, his project isn't purely funded by major galleries or something there was a foundation and he sold stuff didn't he that he got from the building and, yeah, well, and, and but it's, a lot of, of art money has gone in a lot of art money has gone in yeah. I'm, not, I'm not excusing him but it, 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 no, it, these subtle difference between these people is very interesting and, I, and I'm p- personally put John Hoskin on the left side of them yeah but it's, it, it is, it's a perpetual problem of how do, you, how do you continue to make this kind of art obviously how do you fund it that sort of thing I mean it's, yeah. it's, it's an open problem so it's not condemning those things but it's like can we imagine another version of it let's say that well I think we've run out of time guys <laughs> that was a nice, nice thing to end on thanks Chris and thanks, Matthew man. and Rob thank you and Mark Wilshire, who was on the phone earlier, who very gen- very kindly enabled us <laughs> to cut him off, and then hopefully didn't feel too cut off at the end of the programme by Matthew. <laughs> no, well done. And uh, thank you for listening. And if you want to subscribe to Art Monthly, you can do it online on www.artmonthly.co.uk. Direct debit is the cheapest, and we think the best. But we would say that, wouldn't we? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Goodbye.